In Jesus' name, amen. So as we finished 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John last semester, we now come to a different book and a different author. The commonality is that these are also letters. Our author in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians is the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, all written as letters called epistles. Epistles are generally follow a certain format. Most of Paul's letters begin with an introduction that identifies his name and those of any associates, mentions his audience, and gives a greeting. And the introduction is then followed by the main body of the letter, so that's what we're going to be studying a lot of, and concludes with a personal blessing um, and personal notes to the individuals within the receiving church. So the epistles of the Bible are all found in the New Testament. They include 21 of the New Testament's 27 books, extending from Romans to Jude. 13 of these epistles, as I said, were written by the Apostle Paul, commonly called the Pauline epistles. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And then within those, that group of Pauline epistles is a subgroup labeled the prison epistles. So this is a little history for you guys. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, so-called because they were written dur- during Paul's two-year house arrest in Rome. And you can find that in Acts 28, 30 through 31. The pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, were written to church leaders and include many teachings regarding practices within the early church. So all of the known authors of the epistles are either an apostle, Paul, Peter, John, or a family member of Jesus, James, or Jude. Each of these individuals had a unique calling from the Lord Jesus that include writing letters to others. And I know we talked about this last time in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, about maybe writing letters to someone and seeing the impact that that might have. And I know I shared this with you last time, but some of you are new. I started writing letters to our, one of our prodigals, and um, we've had a whole year of separation, and I just started writing positive things to him, just that I love him, I'm praying for him, um, nothing like, how are you, because I didn't want to know, and um, <laughs> you know, I didn't tell him anything about my life, I just started writing, you know, you're treasured, you're, well, you know, just different things, and it just really brought our relationship together. And so now we have a relationship again. Um, It's not ideal, but it's a relationship, and there's forgiveness, and there's a a work happening. And so I just encourage you to write letters. Um, And these are our examples as we see these letters written by Paul. So these letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are preserved as part of the New Testament writings today. And each of these individuals had a unique calling from the Lord. First and Second Thessalonians are some of the first letters written in the New Testament, whereas John, which we studied last time, were some of the last. And so that's kind of interesting. And there's a span of about 40 years between what we studied last time and what we're studying this time. These are earlier. Um, the beautiful thing is that we will see the same encouragement and that the word does not and has not changed. This may have been Paul's first letter he ever wrote from Corinth around 50 to 51 AD, about 20 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He writes these letters in response to the church plant he did with Silas and Timothy. 
He was there in Thessalonica, possibly for months. This ancient city of Macedonia in northern Greece, originally named Therma for its hot springs, and taught there for three consecutive Sundays, it appears. And he departed due to God's leading, which you can find in Acts 17. But then Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica a few months later to check on the young church because he knew they were under persecution. Timothy then brought questions back to Paul that needed clarification from the studies Paul gave those three Sundays or those three weeks. And so he penned these letters in response to those questions. Our author, the Apostle Paul, used to be Saul of Tarsus, many of you know that, who hated and persecuted Christians. The book of Acts gives his conversion story. Saul spoke death threats against anyone believing in Jesus. He has his conversion on the Damascus Road. And so we're going to read quickly Acts 9, 1 through 5. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if any found If he found any who were of the way, meaning they were following Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So this was an intense experience. It was real. And Saul, who became Paul, was never to be the same. From that day forward, he lived only for Christ. And so that's our encouragement. If you've received Lord, the Lord, we should be moving forward, not backwards. We should live only for him. Galatians 1, 17 through 18 tells us of Paul's time in Arabia, an area outside of Damascus, where he was there for three years while the Lord personally worked on him. So after that time, he was three years in Damascus. Galatians 1, 13 to 18 says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So the... Paul learned directly from the Lord for three years, and he had been a Christian then for three years and then met the apostles Peter and James. We also see that Paul had companions, Silas and Timothy, and you can read more about Silas in Acts 15.22 and Acts 15.26-41. And there is much more information on Timothy in the scripture that you can certainly do your research on. We're not going to go into all of that. Paul and Timothy had a very close relationship, and one of Paul's final letters was written to Timothy from prison. And you're going to discuss these men in your group, whether you're in a homework group or non-homework group today. Back to the church in Thessalonica. The church was primarily Greek and used to worship idols. Because of the misconceptions that Christ's second coming will occur soon, the first book's primary topic is about what happens when people die, about their loved ones who have died 
and about how Christ finally returns. The idleness of the followers became an issue. We're going to be addressing that. These people tended to depend on the church, so this needed to be addressed. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul reminded the congregation to rejoice, pray constantly, and remain loyal in the face of persecution. So Paul wrote to a newly formed young church in Thessalonica, and as we will see, although they were new to the faith, they could handle what we might consider deep doctrinal truths on the rapture and the second coming of Christ. And so they could handle it, he felt they could handle it, so we certainly can handle it. So this study is also a great complement to the book of Revelation that we are going through on Sundays. While the human author is Paul, it's important, and we will truly see that the gospel of Jesus Christ defined his life, and he lived for Christ. More importantly is that the books of the New Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we can speak of the human author, but we must remember that all of the books of the Bible have a single divine author. So now we're going to get into a little bit of practical application. These two, two books can be applied to many life situations. In 1 Thessalonians, it gives us the confidence as Christians that dead or alive, when Christ comes back, we will be together with him. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. This is just a quick little overview. It assures us as Christians that we won't receive God's wrath, and that's what we're talking about um, on Sundays. So that's in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 9. It instructs us how to walk the Christian life daily, 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5. And in 2 Thessalonians, we also see some key themes of practical application for us as believers. Believers will endure suffering at times for God's kingdom, so we're not immune from man's wrath, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. Believers must be wary, wary of the enemy's deception, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Believers need to remain busy during doing God's work, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. And then let's quickly look at the differences for 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians shows us that Christ comes in the air for the church, the rapture, chapter 4, verse 13 through 18, whereas 2 Thessalonians shows us that Christ comes to the earth with his church, the second coming, 2 Thessalonians 1.10. 1 Thessalonians speaks of a sudden rapture that can occur at any time. And yesterday I came home, I came in the house, and I knew the rapture hadn't happened, but it almost looked like it did. Our daughter was there before with her son, and I saw two cups of tea that were partly drinking. The lights were on, her phone was there, her purse was there, her car was there. And I was like, wow, this kind of looks like the rapture might have happened. And I'm like, I'm really tired. I need a nap. So I'm going to take a nap, even if it did, so I can be ready for what's coming. But um, they were out with someone else. But it was just they ran out real quick. And it was kind of funny. I was like, wow, this looks kind of cool. So that's what it's going to be like. Not for those who know the Lord, though. So um, 2 Thessalonians tells of a certain crisis that is part of a predicted plan, and that's called the tribulation. First Thessalonians obviously can occur today. Second Thessalonians can occur only after certain events. And so we'll see twice what the will of God is for our lives in First Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So Paul made it very clear what the will of God was for the Christian. The idea behind sanctification is to be set apart. And God wants us to be set apart from a godless society and culture and its sexual immorality, which is all around us. Um, we are to have holiness a sanctification of heart and life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it isn't easy to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, but it's God's will. And so God will empower us to do that. And if we can focus on these things that are clearly God's will for our lives, what an amazing year we will have. The book of 2 Thessalonians is filled with information that explains the end times. It also exhorts us not to be idle and to work for what we have. Um, there are also some great prayers in 2 Thessalonians that can be an example for us on how to pray for other believers today. And another thing we're going to see in this study is that although the focus is on the end times and what will happen, our authors of our workbook have shown us in their title, Caught Up, that there are many things we can get caught up in here in this short life before we go to be with the Lord, whenever that might be. Our own grand finale, we all have one. We don't know when that will be. So can you get caught up or can I get caught up in worry Finances, health issues, children, um, frustrations, the what-ifs of life, uh, the world and how it presses in on what you should look like or be like. What can you be caught up in in this world? And so it's something for us to examine. So we're going to make this practical and applicable to our lives and remember that we are pilgrims passing through. So we need to remember that we are pilgrims pa passing through, and we are to be caught up in the life of Christ in the here and now. And I was thinking about when we get caught up in things like Christmas. You get caught up in Christmas, and we have 14 grandkids, and I was caught up in what I'm going to get them and what I'm going to send them and what I'm going to do. And I was just in a frenzy, caught up on all that. And um, when you get caught up in something, you just the momentum keeps going and going and going. But if we get caught up in Jesus, that momentum can keep going and going and going. And we need to be caught up in him. And remember, we are pilgrims passing through. So First Chronicles 29.15, For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. That's Old Testament. The emphasizing of the weakness of man. David recognizes the greatness of God, and we know our hope is in Jesus. Hebrews 11:13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 1 Peter 2:11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. So as we get ready to close up and get into our groups, I want to read something from our authors uh, of our workbooks, and this is what they said. As our faith in Jesus Christ grows, the Holy Spirit is given to us on the day of our salvation, guides us through the sanctification process. The more we learn about Christ, 
the more his priorities become our priorities. Our behaviors change because we desire to please God more than ourselves. The things of this world lose their luster and gradually fade because the things of heaven become sharper and in focus. And that's the end of the quote. So that's my prayer for you and for me, that we would be refined. Our behaviors would change this semester. The things we get so caught up in would lose their luster, and our focus and joy would be Jesus Christ. And so I have a couple of verses to leave you with. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. This is one of my favorites, so you've all probably heard it a lot, of, but I love it. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so our focus needs to be on the eternal. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be caught up in you, and I just thank you that we have your word, we have it available to us, we have one another, iron can sharpen iron, and we do ask that's what we would do this semester. Thank you for these beautiful ladies giving up their time and coming out, and we do pray, Lord, that you fill us all with your Holy Spirit, and just give us a wonderful time of fellowship and gleaning from one another as we get into our groups. In Jesus' name, amen.